This morning we're continuing on in our sermon series, Real Issues, Real Answers. And we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. We're also going to be in a couple of other spots throughout the message today. But we're going to start in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. I ask now, God, that you would calm our hearts and our minds. I ask that you would capture our hearts and our minds, that you'd give us a picture of the life that you've called us to, and that you would enable us to live out that life in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I was pretty confident at the time. Two young bucks that are both pretty good at golf. We were coming up to the 14th or the 15th hole, and we were playing for a big soda and a hot dog at the local gas station. We had a pretty good lead at that point. We're younger, they're a little bit old, so I thought, oh, we've got this one. So I confidently said, oh, that drink is going to taste so nice with some crushed ice. Well, all I really remember after that point is my partner just kind of fading into the distance and didn't carry his load the rest of the way. At least that's how I remember it. Thing. You can basically say all that was was a bold statement. There was nothing else there at the end of the day except a bold statement. You've probably made a bold statement at some point in your life as well. Usually you're willing to make a bold statement when you know that you've got the abilities to do something or you're trusting in a known entity. All of us here this morning would probably like to make a bold statement like the author does in the book of Hebrews where he says, I will not fear, for what can any person do to me? How great to be able to make that bold statement where we're able to say, I have no worries. In other words, I am satisfied. Well, the author makes that declaration after talking to us about a warning from Jesus. Most of us would like to make that declaration, but the problem is this. We are trapped in something that's blinded us. We're trapped in a life of greed. And most of the time, we don't even know it. Author Tim Keller says that Jesus warns people far more often about greed than he does about sex, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. When's the last time you woke up and said, oh, I'm really struggling today with wanting more stuff? Have you ever been in a small group where you read a Bible passage and the Bible passage talks about some of the common sins in our life like patience and anger, uh, immorality, and then you get to the end and this question's always like, well, which one are you struggling with today? And most of the time, the very first answer is, well, well I'm not very patient. I have struggled with my temper. When's the last time you heard somebody in the small group say, ah, I just want too much stuff. I'm struggling with greed. 
The problem with greed is that we're blind to the problem as well. Why are we blind to this problem of greed or the struggle with money? Well, we're blind to it because we can always justify our, in our heart anything. Because we live in a very unique situation where we can always find someone that's spending more than us and we can always find someone that's spending less than us. We just do it in our own hearts. We find justification for ourselves by saying, well, it's not that big. I mean, they bought a 72-inch last time. Ours is only 60. Right? And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong about a 72-inch or a 60-inch. Just an example of how we justify what we do by comparing it to others when we may have a problem in our own life of wanting stuff and we don't even see it because we're in the comparison trap at the exact same time. This morning, we're talking about the one issue that you don't advertise you're going to talk about. Money. Nobody wants to talk about money, including me. Thing. Uncomfortable even just getting up in the morning knowing we're going to talk about money. Because what happens when we talk about money? The defenses automatically go up. I, I compare our experience this morning like playing catch with my daughter. And when I play catch with my daughter, Siege usually begins with a openness. You know, she's like, okay, throw it. Puts both of her hands out, the perfect spot to receive. Great start. However, the moment the ball is released, eyes close and hands go up in front of the face. What do you think her chances are of catching the ball? I think we would all agree this morning. She's not going to catch it. This is the exact same way we approach this topic in the church. This morning, I'm going to assume for a moment that all of you came open-handed today. That you came to church saying, you know what? I want God to speak to me. I want God to encourage me. I want God to give us something to, to do. We come with open hands. The moment I said money, everybody, hold on, thing. the defenses automatically go up. This morning, though, for a moment, everybody just take your hands and go like this. Everybody take your hands and go, let's talk about money. Let's say it together. Let's talk about money. You see, the problem is when we go like this, we get defensive right away. And whenever we get defensive, what happens? You start to buy your own ways even more. Have you ever got in a ludicrous argument with someone? And the moment that they kind of start to pinpoint that you're wrong, you get defensive, you start to buy your ludicrous idea even more? I'm sure this hasn't happened to any of you. But the other day we were driving in the car, we were listening to this new song that my daughter has about Noah or something, and they're building the ark with nails, and I just kind of jokingly said, well, they didn't really have nails in Noah's day. Thing. I mean, they should have gotten the song theologically correct before singing it. Thing. Well, then we proceeded into this long conversation. Well, did they use mud? What did they use? Well, at the end, I was like, well, they had something like nails. Thing but I had to buy my own argument for a while just to stay right for a while. It's the exact same thing we do when talking especially about money. We've all got certain ways of interacting with money. We've got certain ways of thinking about money. And when we get defensive, we just glue to what we know even more. This morning, my goal is, is not to create this thing where everybody in here leaves going, oh man, 
I'm a disaster. I'm, I'm guilty of everything that I've done. That's not the goal this morning is to leave with guilt. The other goal this morning is not to leave where all of us can point to society and go, yeah, preacher, preach it. I mean, we all know that we've got a problem culturally with money. We don't need to talk about it, right? I mean, we all know we're massively in debt. We could look at the statistics this morning. It's obvious that it's a problem in our world. And we don't need to get any better at pointing the finger. The goal this morning is very simple. To ask ourselves a question. Am I paying attention to Jesus' warning about greed? Am I paying attention to Jesus' warning about greed? You could argue, as Tim Keller does, that Jesus talks more about money than any other topic. You could look in the Bible and you could say there's more verses about money than almost any other topic. Well, why is that? Well, it all goes back to the central thing of what the problem of money is. Think back for a second to the first commandment. God brings the people out of Israel and he gives them ten commandments. The very first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so if that's the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before God, and there's one thing that keeps taking the place of God, well, what's God going to spend most of the time talking about? That which is taking his place. Money. That's why when you hear Jesus talk about money, it's almost always on the offensive. Jesus gives no practical advice for managing your finances. Nothing. It's almost always on the offensive of sell everything you have, you need to do this. The reason for that is because he's attacking greed. He's attacking a situation where money has taken the place of God. This morning, all we're trying to do is say, Jesus, we want to pay attention to your warning and see if we need to listen a little bit closer. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to that for us. Is money taking the place of God? Author Randy Elkhorn has written a lot about finances, and he says, he also knew, Jesus, that none of us can enthrone the true God unless in the process we dethrone our other gods. If Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, then he is not our Lord. In other words, what he's getting at here is saying this, if you're unwilling to talk about money and allow God to have some authority over money, basically you're saying to God, you're not my God because we're not giving God authority over everything. That's the goal this morning, is just to look in light of our whole lives of what God has authority over and see what he will do among us. But when I say money, there's two things that usually come up that get talked about. Giving, you probably assume we're going to talk about giving a little bit to the church. So that always comes up. And then the other thing that comes up is do not. Do not buy this or do not go extravagant here. So you've got the do not things and then you've got the give things. When some of you this morning here give, it's a burden. It's like carrying around a backpack full of rocks. It's just a burden to hear that word, give. Some of you this morning, when you hear the command, do not, the, the prohibition, it's like, oh, I don't want any more rules. And again, it's like that bag of rocks. So those give and do not become burdensome in our lives. The reason that they're burdensome is that we haven't seen the whole picture of what God wants from, for us. So I've been taking some of you on a journey over this past year of the garage situation at our house. I've got good news to report today. It works! 
As of Friday, we had a garage door. But as of Friday, we didn't have a garage. What? You see, when the garage people got done installing, I went in and saw them. I said, oh, this is fabulous. My wife is going to be thrilled. Thing. We're coming to the end of winter. What a perfect time to begin to have a working garage thing. So I said, oh, thank you. This has been a long time in waiting. And I said, so great to have a garage again. And he says, well, he says, you don't have a garage yet. I'm like, well, man, this has been a problem. We haven't really been, been, been using it. He goes, well, you've got to be able to fit a car in here first. Thing. <laughs> you see, you can have a working garage door, but if you can't get a car in the garage, you don't have a garage. And so there was an all-out scramble really quickly on Friday afternoon to clean the garage so a car could fit in it. You see, if I would have just fixed the garage door, it wouldn't have been the whole picture. But there was something else that had to take place. The same is true in our relationship with God in this issue about money. God's not just giving us some prohibition about do not or this thing of give. He's actually giving us something else completely. And what is he giving us? We see here in Hebrews chapter 13. What he's giving us is a promise. So if you look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the first half is what? Keep your life free from the love of money. But it doesn't end there. He's not just saying, hey, stop being greedy. He, he finishes it by saying, experience contentment. Why? Look at the why. The for is the clause of because. For I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, God is saying that you can experience satisfaction because of the presence and the provision of God. The other way to think about it is that money will always have an unhealthy amount of power over us until we understand God's presence and provision as the source of our satisfaction. Until we get to the point where we've left the do not and the give portion and come to the whole picture of going to God himself for our satisfaction and our provision and our contentment, money will continue to have a lot of sway over us and we won't even know it. You see, when we come to the other side of the coin, to God himself, all of a sudden this side, give and do not, are natural outflows because of the relationship that we have over here. The call from God this morning is not, hey, stop spending money. The call from God this morning is, come to me for that which only I can give. The call from God is God is saying, let God be God and let money be money. The challenge for us is that we oftentimes don't seek the presence and the provision of God because we want the here and now. We can see it, we can touch it, we can feel it. But God is promising us something much greater than that. He's promising us an eternity of provision. Look at the, pr the promise. Never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, God is saying, hey, you have me for life everlasting. And that's why the, the scripture writer here is able to say, I will not fear. What can God do to me? Because he knows God's presence and God's provision. 
So this morning, we would do well to focus on this side of the coin for a little while and say, God, we want you to be God. God, I want to experience your presence and your provision. How do I experience the presence of God? Well, the very first thing it's this. It's opening yourself to an understanding that God wants a relationship. When you think of a relationship, just think for a moment of a relationship you have right now with another human being. That relationship there, God wants to have with you in a completely healthy and perfect way. A lot of us have not had a lot of healthy relationships here on earth. And so what happens is is we project what we think of relationship onto our relationship with God. Therefore, we never really know what it's like to have a healthy relationship with God. You got to take your nearest perfection relationship here and you got to say, wow, it's way beyond that is what God wants with us. The first thing to understand is this, God wants a relationship. It's, it's, it's assumed here when he says, never leave you nor forsake you. Well, if he's not in relationship, what? he wouldn't leave. He, he's in relationship with you. We walk in relationship, very simply you could say, by two things on a very practical level. The first is this, the Bible. It's in the Bible that we encounter God, that God is made known to us, and that God's purposes are known to us. And so if I want to enter the presence of God, I have to go to the Bible, because that's God's chosen way of making himself known to us. And so to pursue God, I'm going to pursue the Bible, because it's through the Bible that I know God. At the same time as pursuing God through the Bible, I need to be with other people. Because God created us to be a people group together. That's why it talks about in 1 John that the love of God is made known when people love each other. That's how God's love is manifest. Have you ever heard the phrase, I hope you experience God's love today? We experience God's love when other people are loving each other and loving us. That's how God's love is made known. God's love is not a feeling thing. It's an action thing. It's an experience thing. And so to experience the presence of God, we have to go to the scriptures and we have to go to the community known as the church, the people of God. So you want to attack the greed problem, you attack it by what? Chasing after God himself. And when we begin to chase after God and God becomes the source of our satisfaction, God himself is the gift unto us, then we can begin to understand this issue of giving and this issue of do not. So this morning, I just want to talk for a few moments. We're not going to get in major depth on giving today and do not. But just for a few moments, I want to think about giving. Again, let's uh, grab your hands. I know we're about halfway through here, so let's refresh ourselves. Thing here. The goal this morning is not to grow the church budget. And I say that honestly. The goal this morning is to get in line with God. So now what we're going to say is, let's talk about giving. Let's talk about giving. Yes. Because we're just talking about the way in which God desires for us to live. And so this issue of giving really all goes back to God is our owner. And when we experience that in Him as our satisfaction, we want to give back to God what He has given to us. And so there's this thing called the tithe. And maybe you've heard the word tithe before, um, and you think of tithe. Sometimes maybe you think of 10%. Some might think of a portion of your giving. Tithe simply means, in a very non-dictionary way, off-the-top gift to God. Off-the-top gift to God. So if I'm going to give a tithe, what I do is I say, hey, I make 
$90 this week. Right off the top, God, I'm giving you X amount of dollars. Now, this next part here, I'm going to say, and my goal is not to make anyone feel guilty. It's not a tithe. If you say, I make $90, here, we spent all this, and then you get to the end of the week and you said, well, I got this is what we got left, this is what we'll give. I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing right now. I'm just trying to help us understand what the tithe is and God's desire for us. It's not a tithe if it's not off the top. The reason that God instituted the tithe is there's this other word that goes with it called first fruits. And so it's a tithe because it's, it's the very first stuff that God gives to us. And so what we're doing when we're tithing is we're not actually fulfilling some legal requirement. We're taking a step of faith. This completely changes the way you think about giving. If you think of tithing as a step of faith versus a legal transaction. So when you're tithing, what you're actually doing is you're saying, God, right from the beginning, here you go. We trust that you're going to provide for the rest. So actually tithing is actually walking by faith. We think of tithing so much in the legal sense because it's in the Old Testament, and we think, well, they didn't have faith in the Old Testament. God just had a bunch of rules. No, no, no. God was asking his people to walk by faith in the Old Testament. And so a tithe is walking by faith. So God asks of us to give back to him what he has first given to us. And when God becomes our satisfaction, then we're in a place where we say, God, Take it, it's yours, and we trust that you're going to provide for the rest. So this morning, the, the question is, is, where are we at in that process? Where are we in that situation of saying, God, we trust you, we want to walk by faith? We might not be there today to be able to go home and say, we're going to start tithing this week. But we might be in a situation that says, God, we want to put ourselves in that situation. So therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to take some very practical steps to make it happen. Intentionality. We're going to allow someone else to give us some advice on maybe how we can get to that point. The very first step that we could all take, though, is this. Give something regularly. Again, I'm not talking king of glory here. I'm talking the church as a whole. The very first thing all of us should do today, if we're not there, is just give something regularly. Just start developing that discipline, because then what are we doing? We're just saying, God, it's yours. We're beginning to create the habit. You know how sometimes you have to do something before the feeling is there? The feeling comes later? You've got to create the habit to begin to get in the process and begin to understand God's provision. This is the only place in the Bible where God says it's okay to test him. You know, God says we're not supposed to test him. However, when it comes to giving in Malachi chapter 3, if you look at that passage later today, God says to the people, test me in this. So really what it comes down to is this. Will we take God at his word? Will I take God at his word that he's going to provide? So again, it's all about trust. We turn to Mark chapter 12 with me for just a moment, if you would. Mark chapter 12. So giving is all about that proportion, setting aside something from the very beginning for God. But giving is way more than just a proportion thing. Mark chapter 12.
Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. There's a really good chance, a really good chance, that legally speaking, all of the people that Jesus saw alongside this woman were tithing. They were in the system. They, they knew the law very well. They, they were participating in that system. So they, they were tithing. But notice what Jesus says. Whose offering is really acceptable in the sight of God? The woman's. Because the religious leaders were looking, if they're consistent with the rest of the Gospels, at their gift as a legal transaction. It was not no element of faith at all, but a legal transaction of this is what God has told us to do and in order to maintain the nice society and blessings that we have, we're just going to give it. No step of faith at all of God provide again. So there's two lessons here for us. First is this. Let's admit what this woman does is foolish. Right? If everybody in here is honest this morning, I think the majority of us are saying this. Okay, uh, that was a really dumb thing. Right? I mean, she just gave up everything she had. She should have taken care of herself because now she what? Now we have to take care of her. Right? I mean, she should have went out and bought bread and water for herself. I mean, take care of yourself so we don't have to take care of you. But God actually says this foolish thing that she did is the wise thing. Oftentimes, what's foolish in the eyes of the world is wise in the eyes of God. She's given by faith. All I got, God, here it is. She's just throwing herself in the arms of God. This morning, some of us need to do that. Just throw ourselves in the arms of God. Say, God, here's, here's what I got. Just take it and do what you will. The other thing that some of us need to do here is examine our own hearts to make sure we're not like these religious leaders, that we're not just contributing for the sake of contributing, but our contributions are coming from a step of faith, that it's a tithe that's reflective of who we are and what God has given to us. Does your tithe reflect what God has given to you? Having God as our satisfaction and enjoying the presence of God completely changes the way we talk about giving. And it changes the way because God becomes the owner of everything and it flows from a desire and a love relationship with Him to give back. The goal of giving is not to grow the church budget. The goal of giving is to get in line with God. We want to simply get in line with how God created us to be. God created us to be giving creatures, living for the good of other people. This morning, all of us are in different places, so it's a different step of faith for all of us in where we're at with giving. But I'd encourage you today, examine your own heart and your own mind. This is ultimately the test right here. If you're being taken over by greed and the power of money, is how much are you giving? That, that's the test. Are you willing to give back? 
to God. So when we talk about giving and we talk about the issue of money, there's one issue that always comes up about money, and that's this. Well, in the Old Testament, it seems that God is all about the wealth. Acquire, and you can have as much stuff. People always point to Abraham, and they say, Abraham had all of this stuff. And he was given more and more and more. And then there's certain spots in the Old Testament where it talks about the acquiring of more wealth. But then when you get to the New Testament, there's nothing. Complete silence about the issue of wealth and acquiring more and more. So what happens is this. Everybody spends all their time in the Old Testament thing. And we kind of ignore Jesus in the beginning of the new church where the focus is on this. Redistribution of all wealth. So why is Jesus all about the redistribution of all wealth? And I'm not talking politically here. Don't think politics when I'm talking about this. Why is Jesus all about just, hey, get rid of? It's because now we live in a new era under Jesus. There's a big religious word that you might have heard before called a dispensation. We live in a different dispensation now than we did under the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, it was an era where they were building an earthly kingdom. There was an actual national Israel that was being built up, a physical place that God was building for himself. Well, now it's clear that when Jesus came, they inaugurated a new era. And that era is one where we're not building a physical kingdom any longer. What we're building is a a spiritual kingdom now that will result in a future everlasting physical kingdom. So therefore, Jesus and the early church have no interest in the accumulation of stuff because they're living in this new era of what we have right now is not close to what it's going to be forever. So they've got a completely different mindset. They're living as though that new era of everlasting can come at any minute. And if you're living as though the end of time can come at any minute, it completely changes your view of the accumulation of stuff and wealth. So again, it's not that God says money is good in the Old Testament, money is bad in the New Testament. What it is, it's just a different time of era in God's overarching plan for creation. Here he's building a physical kingdom through which he brings the person of Jesus. Mission accomplished. Now, he's taking this person, Jesus, who came, and he's building a spiritual kingdom that will one day lead to an everlasting physical kingdom. That's why Jesus is just, release it! Release it! Because what he's here is not going to stay. There's going to be something brand new coming. And so just help us have that that New Testament perspective that what we see here today is not what's here for everlasting. This morning, I would contend that all of us want to leave here and say the phrase, I am satisfied. I think we all want to go to bed tonight not wanting more or not wanting less. We want to be able to rest tonight content. John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, how much does it take to satisfy a person? The big owner of the oil company said, a little bit more than what they have now. I think that's true of my own heart. Maybe that's true for your heart today. That it's almost like it's always been just a little bit more than what I have right now. Forgetting what I had before, but just a little bit more, then I would be satisfied. That's the easy way of explaining greed. Just a little bit more, and then I would be satisfied. 
Well, today, the desire is not that we would have a little bit more, but the desire is that we'd experience the promise of God by experiencing the presence and the provision of God today so that we can say, I am satisfied. And ultimately, the goal today is not for all of us to say, I am satisfied. The goal today is very simply this, that God is seen as God. Therefore, for God to be seen as God, money has to be seen for what it is, money. Today, if you want to fall under the power of a good God, a loving and a gracious God, a forgiving God, I would encourage you to come to the God of Israel, the God who has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a good God. If today you want to have a God who's a little rough around the edges, one who demands things at times when it's really inconvenient, one who gives you burdens that you feel like you cannot carry, well, I'd invite you to come and receive money as your God. He will gladly be your God. But there is a true God who desires to be your God today so that you can say, I am satisfied. Let us go forth today with a confident confession. I am satisfied. For God is our provision and his presence is with us forevermore. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your presence with us and thank you for your provision. God, we come before you and we recognize that all of us are coming from different understandings and places on this issue of money. And God, we also recognize that there's different levels of stress here and different levels of pain, different hurts. God, we pray now that you would give us the ability to release it into your arms. God, I pray that today you would give each of us the ability to pay attention to your warning. And God, make known in our hearts and our minds today if we have fallen into the trap of greed. God, we confess to you that we have oftentimes sought more of stuff rather than more of you. We ask now, O oh God, that you would satisfy us with yourself. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.